0: Welcome to the Pathway Church podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. You haven't been with us, um, or if you're a guest with us today, you won't know this, but over the past... A couple of months we've been walking through a letter in the New Testament called Galatians. And this particular letter was written by Paul the Apostle but roughly 2,000 years ago. And he wrote it at the very beginning of the church. So Jesus had risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, and this new thing called the church began to form. People who believed in Jesus and trusted in him were, were gathering in communities around uh, the Middle East and the Roman Empire. And, and Paul's writing a letter to teach and instruct a group of people that he calls the Galatians because they were in the region of Galatia. Uh, The theme of this book and the theme of our message today is freedom. Freedom is a good word. Uh, All of us like the idea of freedom. All of us like the word freedom. And, you know, when we think of that word, probably in your mind something comes to mind. I thought I'd play a little game and we'll just see. Uh, whether you agree uh, with some of these things. So I'm going to, in just a second, I'm going to put some images up, and I would like to play a little game called the thumbs up or the thumbs down game. And this is where you get to respond to what you see on the screen. And as you think of freedom, as I show you something, you're either going to say, yes, that, I think that's freedom, or no. And this is not intended to be a hyper-spiritual activity, okay? So if we can just clear the air, uh, just yes or no. Everybody put a thumbs up. Let me just make sure your thumbs are working. That's yes, no, okay, we got it. So here's the first one, lotto 649, just imagine, all right, come on, let's see, we got a bunch of thumbs up, a few thumbs down, I know, we got Christians in the crowd like, you shouldn't play the lottery, but think about it, (laughs) think about it, Let's, let's just consider, many of us are restricted financially, we can't go on vacation, or you can't buy a car, or you can't maybe even buy food to feed your family because of money. So having money means a certain amount of financial freedom, which I think we'd all agree is a good thing, assuming we got it in in a good way. Um, Maybe you disagree with that as the means of providing for your future, but regardless. Okay, so there he is. Okay, here's another one. Um, Your spouse is gone for the night, and you uh, get the entire bed to yourself. (laughs) Freedom? Thumbs up? up okay. Mostly thumbs up. A few of you, you just love your, your husband or wife, and you're like, no, please don't leave. Thumbs down. Okay, I got one for the, uh, for the younger folks in the crowd, okay? And I, I, I need everyone to participate, but this is geared for the young people. Your, your parents are gone for the weekend, and there are no rules. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Okay, all the young people are like, yes, two thumbs up, and all the parents are going, no. Um, so before I show you this last one, though, I, I, need you to, I need you to be, I want your gut reaction. Not the religious answer. I want the gut reaction to this next one, okay? When you think of church, Christianity, or the Bible, do you think freedom? Yes or no? Let's see. Okay, we got a bunch of people with thumbs up. I got a few with thumbs down. Okay, that's good. You can put your thumbs away. Thanks. Let's keep this safe. For me, I'll be honest with you, for me as a teenager... I grew up in a Christian home. Some of you grew up in a Christian home. Some of you did not. For me, growing up in a Christian home, I always felt like um, there were more rules and restrictions. There were more things I couldn't do than things I could do. And maybe that's right, maybe that's wrong, but that's how I perceived it as a kid. There were all the things that thou shalt not There were the people I wasn't supposed to associate with. There were things I wasn't supposed to smoke and things I wasn't supposed to drink or eat. And there were things I wasn't supposed to wear and places I wasn't supposed to go. And so it felt like being a Christian meant I couldn't do a lot of things that other people did. And it felt not like freedom. It felt like bondage. I don't know if any of you thought that way. But I remember thinking as a teenager as I wrestled with my own faith like you saw those young people in the video. I remember thinking to myself, I'm young and and soon I'm going to be free from my parents, and I can do whatever I want to do. And and I remember thinking to myself, like, when I'm old, like 30, with a couple kids, you know, married, you know, basically when all my options are gone and there's no chance of having any more fun. I mean, we're, we're hearing through the lens of a 16-year-old boy now, okay? And then I remember thinking, when I get there, then I'll surrender my life to Jesus and fully commit to living the way that he would have me to live because basically, you know... <laughs> My chance at fun is gone, so then I'll surrender my freedom to Jesus. Like, I, I know you guys are too spiritual to think like that, but that's how I thought. And uh, and obviously that was challenged as I continued to grow and, and learn about faith, but that's the way I, the way I thought about it, because I thought about all the things I wasn't allowed to do. And maybe for you, you're here, and, and that was the way you thought, or maybe the way you still think. You're like, hey, I, I'm interested in Jesus, and I've read the Bible, and I've been to church, but I'm still going like, I don't know if I can... Give up my freedom. And yet, what's so amazing is Paul is going to write this, as we begin the fifth chapter of his letter, It's kind of like landing. He's been talking for four chapters about all this theology and all these images, and he lands on this statement in chapter 5 and verse 1. Here's what he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. He's like, when you come to Christ, when you trust in Christ, there is Freedom. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Freedom? Jesus himself said, he who the Son, speaking of himself, sets free, is free indeed. So Jesus came to set us free from something. And yet for some reason we picture Jesus as like putting chains on us or or limiting us. And, and it's like, wh- why why is that? And And so today Paul is going to talk about this idea of freedom. And we're going to learn today about what he came to set us free from and what he set us free for. And those are very important ideas. One thing I've, I've thought about a lot is that uh, freedom is really linked to choice. If I, if I gave you four options of what to eat and I set them on the table and I told you you could eat anything you want, but you can't eat these three, is that have I really given you freedom? No. And, and Paul's made this argument in the previous chapters that when God gave the law of Moses to the nation of Israel, he said, don't, 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 don't. And then he said, do, 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 sacrifice, sacrifice, festivals, this, do it and live, don't do it, die, you know, basically no choice. It was like, you have to do it. Paul likens it to like a child living in his parents' home. When you're in your parents' home, you are not completely free. Let's just be honest. Because your parents have rules and restrictions. I know we do. Our kids, uh, they are, they have some limited freedom, but there are rules and regulations in our home. There's certain things that That don't happen. And and so we have those rules. But one day, when our kids become adults and they move out, guess what? They become totally free. How many of you remember the moment when that happened for you? (laughs) When you moved out of your parents' home. And for the first time in your life, you could do whatever you wanted. Nobody remembers that? I remember. I was turning, I was 18, turning 19, and I moved away to go to Bible college. And uh, my my cousin, Kirsten, who I grew up with, she was going to the same college starting the same year, so we rented an apartment together. So I had a room and she had a room, and uh, we had this apartment, and I remember I had my own room and I shut the door and I just threw my clothes on the floor, just because I could. Like, I am a free man, you know, and my mom didn't come in and, and bug me about it, I'm like, pick that up and make your bed. It's like, I'm not, and I just, I just left everything where it lie. Within a few weeks, you couldn't tell if I had carpet or not. It was just everywhere. I didn't realize until much later that in those initial weeks, uh, my future wife, Jessica, who's standing in the back, uh, came over to visit my cousin, Kirsten. She gave her a tour of the apartment and opened the door to my room and said, this is where my cousin Nathan lives. And she looked at the room and went, oh, that's awful. (laughs) Little did she know she was staring at her future. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It didn't stay like that forever. I did learn to clean and take. Here's the thing that I, I discovered. In those early, in those early uh, weeks, it was like, I'm free to do whatever I want. So I went to bed late. I slept in late. Went to class late. I might even not brush my teeth a few times. I was like, oh, I don't have to do it. I was just doing whatever I wanted to do in the moment. Within a few weeks, I realized this was a bad plan. Right? Some of you, <laughs> some of you have tried this before. Like, I tried to do whatever I wanted to do with my freedom and realized I didn't like where it was leading me. Uh, Today, Paul is, is literally coming at this, as it comes to the Christian faith, he's like, okay, it's like God was like the parent who's restricting the kids and forcing them to do all these things, but when Christ comes, he sets us free, and we go from being slaves to free sons and daughters of God. That we go from being a child under a guardian to being a free adult. This is the image, it's like you can now choose to do whatever you want to do. And there's a part of you going, hey, and there's another part of you going, wait a minute, that's dangerous. And this is where Paul is going in our text today. So two questions that he's going to ask and answer in our text. The first is this, what are we free from? Okay. So what did Jesus come to set us free from? The second thing is, how should we use that freedom? So once we've received this freedom, how do we use it? And Paul is going to address both of those things in our chapter today. So we're going to begin in verse 1. It says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul says, he sets you free, but it's possible for you to go back to the very thing that once held you, trapped you, made you a slave. Uh, I I did a sermon series about a year ago on the yoke. And a yoke is a wooden instrument that ties two animals together, and it was often an image of slavery or bondage and work. And he's saying that, that if he has set you free from this bondage that you would not go back and tie yourself up to it again. So the question is, what is this thing that each of us is, could be tempted to go back to? And I guess in short answer to that question, these two words come to mind for me. Human performance. That's really what Paul's focus has been on for the first four chapters. Human performance. It's this idea that if I keep all of God's rules well enough, he gives me a thumbs up. You're good. You're my child. I accept you. You did a good job. If I give enough stuff away, if I, if I am a moral person, if I help old ladies across the street, if I, if I give lots of money to the church, if I read my Bible every day, if I do all the right things, God goes, hey, good job, thumbs up. You are now accepted because of what you have done. It's my human performance earning my way to God. This is the idea that's at the root of every religion around the world. Human performance. You do this, God smiles on you. You do this, you go to heaven. You do this, you get your own paradise. You do this, and you get reincarnated into a better location. Or, you know, It's this idea that if you do, you get. It's based on human performance, religions around the world. The gospel is not such a thing. Paul literally has spent his entire letter and his life teaching this message that there's nothing you or I could do to be right with God. Think about that. There's not anything that we could do that would cause God to go, you're my child now because of what you've done and accepts us into his family. I had a conversation with my son uh, a while ago. I shared it uh, about four weeks ago. Um, and my son who's 11 was just asking me about how this all works. And I was explaining to him. I said, look, I said, how did you become part of this family? And he's like, uh, I don't know. I was born. I was like, yeah, you didn't do anything. To become part of this family. Your mother and I did something. Well, not that not what you're thinking, but I mean, we we were we brought you into this world and you you are here now because of nothing you've done, but you get the idea. Um it's funny you say something and it's like, wait. Every the crowd goes quiet, you're like, I think they're thinking. Um but it's this idea like you there's, there's nothing that you did to earn your way into this family. And he's like, yeah, I'm like that's the way it works. Christ has done it for us. He's kept the law. He has offered up the perfect sacrifice. He has fulfilled the ceremonial law. He's fulfilled all the festivals. He's fulfilled all the requirements of God on your behalf. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. But then it kind of leads us into this idea of of hyper grace, which we'll talk about. It's this idea that, well, if he did it all for me, it doesn't matter what I do, then I can just do whatever I want. And Paul's going to say, no, no. And he'll steer us in the right direction. So before we get there, let's continue with our text. Verse 2 says this. Paul says, you've been set free for freedom's sake. He says, look, Paul, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, here we go again, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, a number of weeks ago, I went home from church. One of my kids came up to me. He's like, "Dad, that was a really good message. I enjoyed that." I'm like, "Thank you." What's circumcision? <laughs> I'm like, so I'm trying to like explain, you know, scientific names and all the thing. I'm like, "There's the skin and it gets cut off." And, the, and my own child is like, "Ooh, like why would you talk about that at church?" It's a good question. <laughs> and Paul just keeps talking about it over and over and over again. Like this was supposed to be my Easter message. And uh, my wife, Jessica, says, like, you're not teaching on circumcision for Easter. I said, well, that's the text we're on. And she's like, no, you're not going to do it. I said, yes, I'm going to do it. And then I hit my head, so I guess, <laughs> I, guess I wasn't going to do it. Um, but I would have, so you need to know that. Um, so, like, why, why is Paul talking about this? Because it, it's not a big deal for us. And, like, probably none of you got up at any point this week and were thinking about that subject. Like, nobody wants to think about it. And Paul keeps referring to it over and over again. And in fact, in the next few verses, he's going to say, if you go and get this procedure done, you're out of the faith. And there are some, the Jewish people at the time were saying, you have to do this to be in the faith. And Paul's like saying, no, if you go and do it, you're out. And so like if someone was just reading this without an understanding of the whole theme, you'd be like, oh no, you know, because in Canada, the United States, there's a considerable percentage of males who were circumcised at birth. Not for religious reasons, for perceived health benefits. And, and so, like, people could be like, oh no, you know, I'm in, I'm out. And, it, it, and what we're going to discover as we read through, it's nothing to do with that. Paul literally is, is saying throughout this letter that there's, there isn't a piece of clothing you could put on or take off that would make you right with God. There isn't a surgery you could have done that would somehow put you in God's family. Um, There isn't traditions you keep or any of these things, and he's going to kind of get past all the surface stuff and to the heart of the issue. Um, It's not the issue of a surgery, so you just need to know that. Um, Here's verse 3, he continues. I testify again, every man who accepts circumcision, that he's obligated to keep the whole law. There were people saying, hey, if we look back in the Old Testament, it says right here God's people had to be circumcised, so you have to become circumcised to be one of God's people. And Paul's like, if you're going to take that verse and apply it to you, you've got to apply all of these, and he could go through the whole Mosaic law. You can't eat pork, and you can't do work on this day, and you have to do this and this. And There were all these laws. He's like, if you accept one, you're basically saying, I accept something I do instead of what Christ did. That's why you're out. Because you've turned, you're no longer trusting in Jesus and what he did, you're trusting now in something that you do. And he says... As he continues in verse 4, you're severed from Christ. Because you're not trusting in Christ. You're trusting in you. You who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. These are, these are strong words. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's fine. I don't have an issue with any of this. Here's how I think it plays out for us in our modern context. For some people in this room, it's easy for us to think that God accepts us because we attend church regularly. Probably if you don't show up for a few weeks, you start feeling guilty and you run into the pastor at the mall, people always apologize. Oh, I'll be back soon. I've just been away. And they start again. I'm like, hey, it's just really nice to see you. You, know? you get my thumbs up. I don't know. You deal with God. But, um, but it's church attendance. It's like whether you give or not or whether you volunteer, there's all these things that if we're not careful, we should do them all. So hear me. I'm a pastor. I'm like, do these things. They're good things. Read your Bible every day. Have devotion time. Pray. Of course. Just don't do those things thinking that by doing those things, you're accepted by God. You're accepted by God because of what Jesus did. And then because you love him and appreciate him, you're going to start to do those things. There's a very big difference in this, right? And and, and so for us, it's not the circumcision issue. For us, it's like, why are we doing what we're doing? And are we trying to earn favor with God or are we doing it out of love for him? That's something you and I can answer for ourselves. He continues in verse 5. Through the Spirit... By faith, we eagerly, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Paul is alluding to this idea that what Jesus did at the cross, totally complete, but the effects of his salvation and the effects of his transformation are not yet entirely complete. Have you noticed this? You can have hope now, but there is something greater to be achieved. You, you can have a little slice of heaven, but heaven is not yet here. You understand what I'm saying? So... What God has begun to do through Christ continues in us, and that's kind of the idea that he's working on here. In verse 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, only faith working through love. He says, in Christ, God is going to do something in you that produces something from you. And it's not about external things. When I was a kid, I grew up in church, as I already mentioned, and as I grew up in church, I... I remember it being very much about external things. And if some of you grew up in certain denominations, you'll remember this. Uh, as a little kid, I wore a suit, like a three-piece suit with a vest and a tie to church. And that was kind of tradition then. But I remember it was like, you wear your best to church, which, not a bad idea. And we'd go to church, and, and, you know, we'd fight all the way to church in the car, and everyone's screaming at each other. And then we'd stop the car, and my mom would be like, Okay, guys, let's put our faces, you know, let's... <laughs> fix your hair, the spit. And then you'd get out of the car and everyone would be like walking to church in your Sunday best and praise the Lord. And you'd like put on this show. No one else has ever done this. I feel so embarrassed right now. <laughs> and, it was, uh, and it was all these external things. It was like you can't wear that, you can't say that, can't do that. We all looked the part and everything looks fine. And, and it was all these external things. And it wasn't until much later in my life when I began studying the Bible for myself that I realized God is way more concerned with me being clothed in humility than Armani. Like he cares about what's going on in here and what it's producing out here. And we want to put a shell on it and we want to make it look like something. But Paul's like, it's not the external. It's not this or this. It's faith working through love in us. This is the power of the gospel. He continues, um, verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? It's like, he gives the analogy of a racer who's racing towards a finish line. So you're looking at the finish line, you're running towards the finish line, and someone comes running up beside you and like starts steering you, and now you're running towards a different finish line. He's like, you were, you were headed in the right way, you were running towards Christ, and now all of a sudden you're running towards things that you do? What happened? He continues, he's like, this persuasion, this message is not from him who calls you, it's not from Jesus, certainly not what I taught you, and then he switches from a racing analogy, I gotta love Paul, to a baking analogy in the next verse. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, like you put yeast in dough and it just starts to infect and spread throughout and replicates itself until the whole thing is changed. And Paul's like, this idea of we do it, we human performance, that will sneak into our hearts and begin to change and destroy everything. And that's exactly the analogy that he's using it'll destroy the whole thing. Verse ten: I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view than the one, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. He's like, I, I know you'll do the right thing in the end. Verse eleven: If I brothers still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? <laughs> Apparently, from this letter, it seems as though whoever was in Galatia was telling everyone that Paul was saying they needed to get circumcised, and Paul's like, no. That's not my message. In fact, he goes on to say, he's like, why am I being persecuted? The offense of the cross has been removed. Everywhere Paul went, he was teaching people that you are are free in Christ. You are no longer bound to Mosaic law. And the Jews in that place would try to kill him for just such things like this. You don't need to be circumcised. Christ has done it for you. And people would be mad and angry. And here's his final statement for now on the subject of circumcision. It does come up in the next chapter. Verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. In other words, just cut the whole thing right off. Like, let's, let's end the conversation there. Um, tweet that, you know. Uh, <laughs> hashtag best sermon ever. Um, <laughs> seriously, though, you, someone will ask you, what did you learn about at church today? I don't want to talk about it. Uh, it's amazing what you find in the Bible. Um, so what are, we, what are we free from? We're free from human performance. So great. There are some people that hear that and go, I'm going to live however I want. I'm going to just run off and just make a mess of my life. That's not where Paul's going to end. That's important to note. He's not saying, Jesus has done it all, so go do whatever you want. He's actually going to instruct us here in a way that's helpful. And he's going to answer the question of how we use our freedom next. Verse 13. You're called to freedom. Restating his point. Brothers, no obligation, no guilt, no rules. Yeah, I said that. So you now have to decide how you're going to live. And here's what he says next. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That word flesh means your own desires. He's like, here's what you can do. You can do anything you want. Just don't do what's best for you. Don't follow your own passions and desires. And that's exactly what I discovered when I was 18, and I started just kind of going down this road of doing whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. I thought I was totally free, and within a few weeks, I realized I wasn't free at all. In fact, I was in slavery. You say, to whom? To myself. To my own passions and desires. All of a sudden, I was being told what to do by my own desires and passions, and, and that did not end well, and I didn't like where it was leading me. And, and you can say, well, that's just eat no. You can look at the lifestyles of the rich and famous. All the money, all the freedom, all the fame, and what, what do people do? They pursue what they think is best for themselves, their own desires, passions, and they shipwreck their lives. So Paul's not, not encouraging us to do that. He says, how should we use your freedom? Don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. He says, I want you to use your freedom for something else. Okay, here's a little statement. Let's say it together. I am not free for me. This is a great way to think about it. Paul says you can do whatever you want, but don't use your freedom to indulge yourself. Think about this. Uh, when I was a kid, my parents forced me to brush my teeth. They forced me to go to bed. They forced me to go to school. I mean, there are all those rules that we've all experienced when we were kids. And, uh, and I remember, again, when I turned 18 and I was now free from all of that, all of a sudden now I had to start deciding what I valued, and it wasn't until I had complete freedom that I actually discovered what I believed and what I wanted. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, For some of you young people in here, maybe you grew up in a house where your parents were like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then maybe at some point, whether you're 12, 14, 25, you have to stop and ask yourself the question, what do I really believe about Jesus? And it's not until you're free to say yes or no that you really find out whether your faith is real or not, right? It's not until you're deciding for yourself what you're going to look at on the internet that you decide where we're your heart's at, and what's going on inside. Like, it's, it's amazing. Freedom. Paul says, okay, you're going to have this freedom to do whatever you want. Don't use it for me. In other words, he continues by saying this, don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. This is powerful. Paul says, you can do whatever you want, but don't use your freedom for yourself. Use your freedom to love and serve others. That's fascinating. And I think what people... Um, Even people who are not of faith, what they've discovered is that doing everything for yourself leads to an empty place. And serving and loving others is is something that God has designed us to do. He's wired us for it. And Paul says, don't use your freedom for yourself, but use it to love and to serve one another. He continues quoting Jesus, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In other words, all the things that God was trying to keep us from and get us to do in the Old Testament is it gets all fulfilled in this idea, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we're given this freedom. Paul says, here's how I want you to use it. Love and serve the people around you. That's what God would have you do with the freedom that he's given you. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus have to die for you? Did he have to die for me? Or did he choose to? Well, in Jesus' own words, he says this in John 10, verse 18. He's speaking to his disciples before he goes to the cross. He says, no one takes it from me, speaking of his own life, but I lay it down of my own accord. (laughs) Jesus says, I am going to love and serve you by giving my life for you. And he sets us free to do whatever we want, but he invites us to follow him in loving and serving and giving our lives for others. And as we continue in the chapter, if you continue the rest of chapter 5, which Andrew taught on last week, so we're, we're backtracking here, Paul's going to go ahead in the rest of the chapter, he's going to give us two lists. He's going to give us the works of the flesh, I think there's about 11, 12, 13 really bad things, you know, uh, and then he's going to give the fruit of the Spirit, and he's going to outline these two these two different sets of behaviors, and it's easy for us to think in our minds, okay, so if I have good behaviors, I'm a good person, and if I have one of these bad behaviors, then I'm out, and God, you know, I'm... And so we kind of put ourselves in these camps. But what Paul's trying to say is if we're submitted to Christ and His Spirit's in us, it's going to lead us to behave in this way. And if we're, if we're living for ourselves, it's going to lead us into these behaviors. And when we see these behaviors, it can let us know what's going on, at least to some degree, inside of our heart. So the choice is yours, how you will use the freedom that you've been given. And love does require freedom, doesn't it? Even if, even if you go to work and you have to go to work and your boss is a jerk and there's all the things you have to do, there's still something that can change in your heart. Have you, maybe some of you have experienced this. Where you begin to say, you know what, I'm going to love and serve my boss, the people I work with, maybe I don't even like, but I'm not going to do it because I have to. I'm going to do it because I want to love and serve others. There's a transformation that happens inside our hearts. And that's the power of the gospel that Paul is pointing to here. Verse 15 He finishes with this verse. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. In other words, if we're pursuing ourselves and what's best for us, guess what we're going to end up doing? Fighting. James talks about this in his letter. We're going to fight with one another. We're going to be trying to take from one another. We're trying to get what's best for me and everything begins to fall apart. Or we can serve one another in love. So before we close, I want to just share one last analogy. You know, Uh, It's easy to think when we read Galatians 5, when you look at it and you see these lists, the good list and the bad list of behaviors, it's it's easy for us to look at the good list and go, yes, 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 I'm doing pretty good. Oh, there's one bad one, but it's not too bad. You know, we just kind of like, we're kind of managing and we're going, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. But again, we're getting back to human performance. What Paul is saying is that when we're following Christ, when the Spirit of God is at work in us, it will begin to produce this kind of fruit, not this kind of fruit. That's what he's saying. And I like to use the example of a tree. If I had a nice leafy tree on the stage and it had no fruit on it, how would we know what kind of tree it is? We'd be looking for fruit, we'd be waiting for fruit to appear. And the idea isn't that you just take a bunch of oranges and hang them with little hooks all over the tree and go, look, it's an orange tree. It wouldn't make it an orange tree. And, And you behaving like a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Or you producing a bad fruit doesn't make you a sinner thrown out from heaven, you know, all that. It's this idea that when we are rooted in Christ, when we are trusting in Him and believing in Him and His Spirit's flowing in our lives, what it will do is produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and a little bit of fruit will start to appear. And God prunes it and works with us so we can produce more fruit. And so the idea is, what are we seeing in our lives? And how do we respond? we're beginning to see a bit of that fruit that God wants to produce. It's like, okay, God, how do we, how do we produce more of that? And if we're seeing the wrong fruit, we say, God, what's going on in my heart? And we allow him to transform us. So I want to close with this question. Here's the question as we wrap up. How will you use your freedom? I've told you today, you don't have to attend church, you don't have to give, you don't have to volunteer. Uh, And I hope that if you're doing it because you think you're going to get to heaven, that you would stop doing it for that reason and then sign up again For the right reason, because you want to do it, right? Or you could just have that happen in your heart and not freak out our staff. That would be even better. Um, But the idea is that you would have the choice, that you would be free to choose, just like we want for our children when they leave our homes, for those of us who are parents. When when they leave our homes, we want them to choose the right thing because it's in their heart, and they want to do the right thing. Not just follow the rules because we're hovering around somewhere. Waiting to get them in trouble, and that's that's the idea of the gospel. That's what God wanted for us. And so, how will you use your freedom um, on the way out? You're going to see there's a whiteboard on the wall right before you leave the gym, and there's markers. And you can this is your opportunity to do graffiti on the school wall. Uh, just please stay on the whiteboard. Uh, we want you to grab a marker and literally, I want you to answer that question: How will you use your freedom? Maybe for you, it's going to be to forgive someone. Maybe for you, it's going to be to spend time with a family member or to reach out to someone you haven't talked to in a while or to open your Bible more. Or there's something that God is speaking to you, stirring in you that, you that you want to do and you haven't been doing and you can just write it down um, on that board on the way out because sometimes we, we think of something and we're like, yeah, I'll get to it. This is an opportunity for you to write it out before you go. So I want to encourage you to do that on the way out and I'll close in prayer and then Jess is going to come and share a few announcements with you as we close. Father, thank you for this, uh, this powerful letter called Galatians. And Lord, I know in my own heart it is so easy to slip back into human performance and to start trying to measure myself, measure myself against other people. Um, Lord, and, and thinking that somehow through my own behaviors and talents and abilities that I'm getting your approval. And Lord, it is so reassuring to know that your acceptance of me is not based on anything I've done, but what Christ has done for me. Lord, help me, help us to live out of that. Help us to have our eyes completely set and wholly on you and not on ourselves. And Lord, as we think about this freedom that you've bought for us, we're no longer bound to guilt and shame and law, but Father, help us to live a life that honors you. Help us to love and serve others instead of doing what we think is best for ourselves. And in doing so, we become more like Christ, our Savior. Father, if there's anyone in this room who's never made the decision to surrender their life to you, to live out of this freedom that you have given us, I pray that they would do so today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.